Good day to you, listener. It's Joe Suarez, host of the Instructional Redesign Podcast, along with Kara North. It's a podcast where we feature stories and conversations about the design of modern learning experiences. Speaking of conversations, Kara and I recently had a chance to chat with Jeff Goldman, aka the e-learning Cyclops. He's an e-learning developer at John Hopkins Health Systems with 20 years of experience in learning and development. We discuss how e-learning has changed over the years and get Jeff's great perspectives on the concept of working out loud. We originally were thinking we'd feature Jeff's thoughts in an episode dedicated to working out loud, but decided to keep the whole interview intact instead. We started by asking Jeff to introduce himself and tell us how he got involved in learning and development. Where I got started, I actually have to go back about 20 years. Um, it doesn't seem like 20 years, but it's been 20 years since I actually started in uh, learning and development. I actually used to be a caseworker, and I worked with an outreach program with an organization called the Shriver Center at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And I ended up moving into, they had a job readiness training program where I worked with uh, youth, everything from teaching them how to fill out applications to uh, job interview skills, even on the job training. So it was a world of work uh, training program. And I just loved uh, training and development. I loved working with the kids, loved helping them, and loved training. So I started uh, at that same school, UMBC. They had an ISD program, which is uh, a fantastic ISD program, a little plug for them. Um, and I started taking courses there. And I was really looking to be you know, an instructional designer, but started taking e-learning courses and kind of veered into uh, e-learning. And that's been my focus ever since. Um, from there, I actually started working in healthcare, spent about six years in banking, and then came right back to healthcare. And I've been with Hopkins. Uh, it'll be almost eight years now. Wow. That's awesome. And I think that's really cool that you've had this kind of diverse background in L&D from banking to medical. So I, I think that that's great. Um, it's nice to know that you've been in like different industries. So what kind of gets you excited about learning and development from your vast experience? What's nice is it's always changing. You know, it's changed a lot in 20 years, as you can imagine. Um, and there's a lot of changes in, in the technology, which is wonderful. I love, you know, uh, developing online courses and using all the tools that are out there. And, you know, when I started, it was, you know, developing pretty straightforward, you know, online courses. But now I've done everything from developing games, uh, got into social media. I've developed uh, mobile learning. I'm actually working on a cool project right now in mobile learning. Um, so it's always changing. It's never boring. You know, 20 years in the same industry, you would think would, you know, get redundant. But it's every year, you know, working on something new and really cool. And uh, it, it's a great field if you want to be creative. You know, I don't have any two projects that are the same. Always get opportunities to be creative. And uh, also being in, in the health system, especially, you know, I'm very proud of Johns Hopkins. And it's a great mission. So it's really nice to be able to, you know, help people do their jobs better, especially when they're, you know, in, uh, you know, making people uh, healthier and, and saving lives. It's uh, great to have some role in that. Again, I completely agree with you about the creativity, and that's something that's really made me excited about being an instructional designer is that we can be creative. So Jeff, you mentioned you took some e-learning courses back when you were in college, or at least focused on e-learning. I'm curious what that looked like back then. You know, I actually started, if anybody remembers, uh, AuthorWare. 
um, we're actually using authorware. It was Macromedia at the time. And, uh, you know, it, it really involved a, a lot um, as far as, you know, a lot of programming and you couldn't, you know, now you can just dive right in. A lot of it's, you know, a lot more, you know, user friendly, but it, it took a lot more as far as, you know, uh, the design and things like that. We were talking about Addy, which uh, I think still works. I know there's a lot of other models and there's offshoots of it. Um, but a lot of the design wasn't too far off from what we have now. Um, I think a big difference now, though, is when I 20 years ago, you had to explain what e-learning was and you had to manage a lot of expectations. Now, you know, most of the time when I work with, you know, stakeholders, they've got a really good idea what e-learning is. Um, I think most people have probably taken at least some compliance courses out there. So luckily, the uh, the semantics are, are, are well, I don't know if the word semantics is right, but um, the lexicons, you know, out there, people understand what e-learning is. They know what to expect of it. And I think they're also a lot more uh, uh, open to it. You know, years ago, I got a lot more, uh, we're going to stick to the classroom. You know, they, they thought that maybe classroom would be more effective because they could see the audience. So I think it's been a, it's a lot more receptive. So shifting focus, we're going to move on to working out loud. So, Jeff, how do you define working out loud? You know, it's not something new, but I think, at least for me, the, the term is kind of new. But when I think of it, I think of it as whenever we share some, something and how we accomplish that something uh, is working out loud. I think, you know, as students, you know, I'm thinking, you know, back, you know, as a student uh, in elementary school, even, you know, we were doing that all the time. You had to show your work, especially math class, show how you did it. You're sharing with people and explain to them how it's done. You don't see that so much in the workplace. Um, I think working out loud is continuing kind of that into the workplace. And I think, uh, you know, to define it as working out loud, you need to include the process the lessons learned, warts and all, you know, you have to explain what worked, what didn't work, where you failed, um, and encouraging others to use your ideas and your methods um, and to, uh, you know, do the, do the same, uh, you know, for others, you know, share and also uh, listen and learn from others, which is a great thing because, you know, how many times are we doing things that, you know, pulling our hair out, trying to figure something out when someone else has the answer right there. You know, and if we all share, especially in our own field in structural design, we'll be moving the whole field forward, not just our own abilities. Right. And I think by working out loud, we as instructional designers get to share what it is we do with people that might not necessarily be familiar with it. Right. That's true, too. I think it's you know really important for other people to see what we do, especially people that uh, you know they want e-learning and then they get shocked that it's two months, takes two three months to build their course. Um, a lot of people don't realize what goes into it. You know, it's not just simply uh, you know uh, sit down and build a website or build a PowerPoint. I'm curious. Do you have any formal methods of doing that with stakeholders or subject matter experts that may not have uh, a good idea of how e-learning gets put together? I've written a lot of blog posts about working with subject matter experts and stakeholders. And I developed this nice little guide and it's, it goes from analysis all the way to implementation. And I explained to them, here's what I do. You know, everything from, we're going to sit down, we're going to identify, uh, you know, what, what training, what learning needs your, your, um, uh, audience has, you know, and then I go through the design process and development process. 
and I fit in, and I actually have it color-coded where I have, you know, subject matter expert might be in green and, you know, I might be in blue and stakeholders might be in red or something like that. Um, and it explains what their role is so that they can understand. Because a lot of times they think they're just going to proofread it at the end, but subject matter expert role is a lot more than just simply proofreading, especially since I'm going to be picking their brain a lot and I have to learn about the content and I have to ask a lot of uh, prying questions. So I actually wrote that up and I handed out the subject matter experts, but I also share it with other people so they also learn about the process. And I, I tell people they're welcome to also, you know, share that with their, you know, stakeholders when they meet with them. That way they'll understand what their role is in the whole process and what to expect and also to see what I'm doing. That I'm not simply sitting down and just start typing away, that there's a, a lot of uh, design work in there. Um, and even in the end, the implementation side, I explained to them also about, you know, how an LMS works, the basics of it, and uh, what's involved in getting it working on the LMS and, and getting people to take it. Even marketing the course, that's a big uh, part of it, too. People forget about that. But you can't just build a course and expect them to come. So, so I've got this all mapped out that I share with people. That just sounds like a great resource, especially for students, especially for people that are new to instructional design or people that have transitioned from being that SME into the seat of the instructional designer. So if you would share that with us, we would love to put that on the show notes for this podcast, if you'd be so kind. I'm sure people would love to have that. Yeah, um, I'll uh, I'll send that over to you. And I've got it. I think I've posted it so many places. And that's part of working out loud. I've posted on my blog posts. I think we had a work out loud week. I think Jane Bozarth was uh, uh, talking a lot about that during uh, a learn chat, which is a tweet chat on Thursday nights. And I posted it on there too. So it, it's it's floating out there in, 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 uh, in the web. I don't know who said this, but I remember hearing someone say they, they learned more on learn chat than what they got out of their master's degree. And I have to probably agree with them. I have a master's degree in instructional design. And I think I've learned over the years just as much, you know, attending learn chat. Uh, in reading a lot of blog posts and things like that, you really there's so much information out there and really learn a lot. Um, but uh, you know, for me, working out loud, sometimes our processes, you know, we kind of get used to, especially after say 20 years in the field, you get used to you know taking the same steps and doing the same things. And working out loud sometimes can be a reminder on how you got from point A to point B, best practices. Um, and identifying, you know, improvements and, and honing that process. I know sometimes like I'll do, I've done conference presentations where I'll pick a topic that, you know, I think I'm good at. And suddenly when I start doing the presentation, I have to really dig deeper and say, oh, how do I do this? And you have to kind of, kind of diagram it all out. Um, it's kind of like grammar. You might know the grammatical rules in your head, but when you have to explain to uh, explain that grammatical rule, it, it makes it a little more difficult. So sometimes working out loud is kind of like having to explain those grammatical rules that we use every day. The other thing I, I want to point out is when you do work out loud, you get a lot of great feedback from others. And um, that can be extremely valuable, especially when you're working on a course and you kind of need to take a step back or get fresh eyes at it and you show it to people, even if it's just a few screenshots or just kind of a high level overview, you know, it's amazing some of the incredible feedback that you get from others, whether it's internally or externally. You know, I love when I can share things out on the web um, and get feedback from people, you know, all over from all different, you know, areas, industries and things like that. I'm curious, what's a good example of like a project where you've applied working out loud? 
actually that document I was talking about earlier about the um, working with subject matter experts. That's something that I posted in that last uh, workout loud week, and you know that's kind of a good exa- uh, one example of you know it's not specifically a project, but it's my process. And what I also share that kind of goes along with that. And I find a lot of times I hear from people that get frustrated with subject matter experts or stakeholders and reviewers um, is they get frustrated with the process that they don't get uh, you know, reviews returned. They don't get the input they need or they don't get the ear of this uh, me when they have questions for them. And I not only share that document with them, but I also give them I've got all these little tool books with um, uh, a, a little guide for SMEs on how to review a course, what to look for, um, an actual form for them to put in edits, uh, kind of like a change management type form, and an authorization for release where I actually have diagrammed out. Here's all the things you agree to. Here's what you've done. And you need to you know, sign off saying that this course is correct and it, you know, it, it's aligned with the procedures of you know, whatever the topic may be. And I share those, not just internally, because we have a lot of other training departments uh, here at Hopkins, but um, I put them on the blog post and I've shared with them with people, you know, all over the U.S. and probably, you know, overseas too. And I tell them just, you know, tweak it. Um, those are the kind of things I like to share. But I also like, I'll, I'll put as many courses as I can that are worthy. I've got some courses I might not want everybody to see, but you know, the ones that I think will are of value, I put out on Pinterest, which I think Pinterest is a great way to share uh, screenshots. So I'll put like maybe five or six screenshots from a course that people can see, hey, here's how I approached this course. Here's how I, uh, you know, uh, taught this topic or that topic. And, and I throw it right out there so that people can see examples of what I've done. And I'm always looking at other people's work too. And I, I like to get inspired from, you know, some of the other works that are out there. One of the hurdles to working out loud is being able to share the stuff that we do in our full-time job and making sure that we're not releasing anything that our employers would be upset with or is proprietary information, things like that. It sounds like you've gotten over that hurdle. What would your advice be for others? Well, you do have to be careful about that. One thing is for me, a lot of times the things that I share, like I've done courses on, you know, uh, you know how to use SharePoint, how to use, you know, different systems that are, you know, uh, uh, not specific to my uh, field. And I'll try Like I've done demo fests uh, through the e-learning guild, which are a great way to share your work. And I've always made it sure it was something like that that wasn't specific to Hopkins. But on Pinterest, I've even gone so far as posting things, but I blurred out some of the text. So they get an idea of it, or I maybe rewrite that screen so that it doesn't have that information in there. Um, but always be careful, because you don't want to get yourself in a jam at work by sharing you know, information you shouldn't. But you can tweak it. You know, or blur the screen with, you know, snag it, something like that. I've seen some people, and in here we have a lot of people in like, you know, government jobs where they absolutely can't share anything because I'm in the DC, Baltimore area. And I've seen people that have actually done pro bono work for, say, charities and nonprofits just so they can get some things for their portfolio. You know, and if you know you're working, and you can tell them up front, I'm going to share this with the world, you're making something for, say, a charity, and they're okay with it, that might help you add your portfolio and also be able to share things. Great. I think that that is something that a lot of people do struggle with is the line of what can I share? What shouldn't I share? And your tip of the pro bono and doing something kind of outside the scope of your actual office is a great, great tip. 
what other pieces of advice would you give to, to people that are interested in getting started with working out loud? One, one thing is, you know, it's really easy to share your knowledge and share your work, you know, in today, uh, today's world. You know, we've got all these things like Twitter out there and blog. Anybody can start a blog, costs nothing, uh, which I think is a great way to do it. LinkedIn, Pinterest, like I uh, said. So it's easy to get your work out there. It's easy to get what's, you know, uh, you know, in your head out there. You don't have to, you know, necessarily do it formally and go to a conference or travel anywhere or do a formal presentation, but you can really get out there on the web. Um, but don't be hesitant. You know, whether you're a newbie or you're a veteran, you, you, you definitely have something to share and something that other people can learn from. Um, and in turn, you know, uh, you'll receive great feedback, receive, you know, new ideas and uh, just, you know, take that jump, get out there and start sharing things. Um, a lot of people don't like sharing because they're afraid, you know, that others might take their ideas because uh, I've heard people say that. Don't worry about that. Usually people, they'll be inspired by your ideas, but they're going to make their own creations and their own original. Uh, but hopefully with the influence of uh, what you've done, which, you know, is always extremely flattering. So, so get out there and, and share your information and share your work. Work out loud. I guess that's <laughs> what I should say. Work out loud. So this being the Instructional Redesign podcast, we like to discuss what works well in instructional design, at least traditionally, and where some improvements could be made. So in your opinion, what would you say works well and what would you say could use some improvement? One of the things that frustrates me is that people get a little too focused on development tools. Whenever, like I'll share courses and it seems the first thing a lot of people ask is, what'd you make it with? There's some great technology. Technology's out there. It works well. There's amazing tools, especially over the last 20 years. I mean, if you compare, the, you know, Captivate and Articulate and things like that compared to the tools we were using 20 years ago, it's like light years ahead. The tool's important, but the thing is, I really like to steer people into focusing on the design. I think it's really important for people to understand instructional design. You can make a lot of glitzy things and there's some really cool, amazing, you know, glitzy things out there, but I see a lot of courses that get your attention, but they don't hit the mark when it comes to actually training people. Um, you, the first thing is to, you know, understand your audience and make sure you know what their learning needs are and to address that. I think it's really important for people to understand instruction, understand needs analysis, um, how to design for their audience, how to work with subject matter experts. And that can be sometimes frustrating that people aren't starting there and they're making really cool stuff, but it's not always hitting the mark. You know, I kind of think about it as like an analogy of, you know, I wouldn't go to a doctor and say, you know, hey, what kind of scalpel did you use? And then go out and try to do an appendectomy. You know, you need to really get a baseline knowledge first. So one of the things that often gets left out of, or at least underdone, especially with e-learning development, is the evaluation piece. It sounds like you are doing some of that successfully. What are your tips that you would give to others for evaluation? For evaluation, a lot of people, the level one stuff, you know, the reaction, you know, I, we do that. You know, I get a survey monkey. Every time someone completes a course, they get a little survey monkey uh, evaluation uh, that gets that reaction. But the harder stuff to get is, did they apply those skills um, as a change behavior? 
don't forget about that. You know, sometimes we make a course and, you know, months later we forget about the course and we move on. But, you know, three, four months later, we need to go back and say, you know, are they applying these skills? Um, and is it making a difference? And sometimes you have to, you know, get out there in the front line and either observe or get some surveys out, you know, not just to the learners, but out to their supervisors and managers, you know, uh, you know, was there a change in behavior? And uh, that takes time, it takes investment. Um, we don't do that for every course, but for really, you know, uh, more crucial courses, uh, we do get uh, that out there. And even if you're just doing it more informally and getting anecdotal information, it's still uh, very worthwhile, especially, you know, you have to go back, circle back and fix, you know, maybe, maybe fix isn't the correct word, but reanalyze how you approach things and uh, make those improvements uh, to the courses. That way, you know, the, the, the future learners and anybody that retakes it uh, will get even higher quality courses. So evaluations, you know, really important. Um, with training, it, there's, you know, not really an endpoint. You're constantly reevaluating and improving the courses. Definitely. One of the things we're doing, or at least trying to do on, on my team, is find a way to set up review schedules for courses, or at least what is the appropriate time frame that we should be reevaluating each piece of training content that we create. I'm, it's an ambitious undertaking, and I'm, I'm excited to do it, but I, I can't really say I've been on a training team that's done it successfully in the past. Just out of selfish curiosity, do you have any experience doing anything like that? Yeah, actually, when I, I mentioned earlier, we have an authorization for release, and I always have the you know a stakeholder signer, the lead uh, subject matter expert. And I have a, actually a little line in there that will be reviewing this course, you know, and they have a certain, you know, they have an obligation to review it. But, you know, I'm, of course, going to, you know, warn them and send them out a little form saying it's time to review. But I have a little blank line and I write in there six months or one year, whatever an appropriate time period is. And once that time's come up and, you know, give or take, you know, it might not be exactly on that anniversary. But we'll we'll send the course back out and say, please review this and let us know if there's any updates. If I'm aware of a big change, I might, you know, jump in, you know, before that even comes along. And actually, I've made a few courses recently that were blended. So a couple of these courses were prerequisites prior to people being in the classroom. And it's funny because I like to get into those meetings when they're talking about those things because they forget to mention, you know, uh, let me know that they made a change in the classroom. And I had a rather big course, actually. They made massive changes in the classroom, which totally affected the online course. So I had to, you know, raise my hand and say, okay, wait a minute, we've got to reevaluate what's being taught in the online class and make sure it still jives with the classroom. And it didn't jive anymore, and we had to make some major changes. So I kind of you kind of have to keep your eyes and ears open on that. I'm sure eventually someone in the classroom would have raised their hand and said, "That's not what I learned online," and then they probably would have gave me a call and we would have you know fixed it. But uh, you know, especially with blended learning, you have to stay on top of that that process, that review process. Do you keep track of all those changes in a giant spreadsheet, or do you have a more sophisticated system where you get notified somehow? Oh. I, you know, I probably should make a, you know, get some sort of system that would send me a notification. I could probably do that in Outlook. It'd be that simple. Um, that Thanks for that idea. Um, but normally, you know, I have a spreadsheet where I have the actual release date of the courses. And every once in a while, I'll look through those and I'll say, ooh, that was released a year ago. 
let me go back and, you know, uh, check what this means. So, and a lot of my subject matter experts are actually, I work within HR. So a lot of them are actually here and sometimes they'll just walk by and go, hey, by the way, we just changed the, you know, you know, whatever program, um, or we made manager change the SAP. Can you update those, you know, or send the course to me and I can look at it again. So a lot of times they'll actually come to me. But if it's just an annual thing, I'll, I'll just look over my little, I have a little Excel spreadsheet with all my completed courses. But I think I'll start putting them in Outlook, like you, you know, that would work like your suggestion. See, I learned it's, you're working out loud. And there you go. We are working out loud. The C, we're, we're demonstrating the benefits right here on the podcast. How awesome is that? Um, yeah, we've looked at, do we just keep this all in a spreadsheet or are there some, you know, cloud-based services that we can use, like something like Asana or Trello or something that can keep track of all that stuff and notify us. And my guess is that we're just going to go stick with the spreadsheet uh, just for the sake of, we'll say, universal skill level on our team. Just we know we're all capable of looking at a spreadsheet uh, and, and comfortable doing that. This conversation has made me think of another question. So one thing that I've started to do as I'm presenting more like with webinars and sharing information is I've been making these uh, short links and that way I can track how many people have visited a URL of different resources or set up shared boxes and then tracking analytics on who downloads it from where. Do you do any of that, Jeff, when you're sharing your pieces out? Are you sharing them on social media? Are you tracking the analytics on it to see how many people are checking out your stuff? Internally, when it comes to courses, we have it, of course, on an LMS, but I, I like using Bitly and the short links, and it is nice to get a quick snapshot. Um, but as far as outside work, like, like, you know, any documents or Pinterest things that I kind of throw out there into the, you know, out into the world, um, I haven't really done anything to track it you know Pinterest will tell me when somebody's you know favorited something or you know uh, you know sharing things but I haven't used it just to kind of monitor um, my blog though you can kind of that's pretty easy it's blogger you can see how many people have hit it things like that so um, but yeah I don't internally I do so much tracking through the LMS um, and you know make sure that everybody completed you know whatever courses that they're required because we do have a fair amount that are you know required especially if they're in a leadership program they have to take certain e-learning courses before they even uh, can enroll in the classroom training um, so I think I do so much tracking here at work I don't sweat too much the tracking externally when I throw out a blog post or put something on Pinterest I just throw it out there and you know, I don't worry too much. If if one or two people see it, that's just as good as if a thousand people saw it for me. And when you're getting feedback on that, when you push it out on Pinterest or social media, obviously you can get notifications if someone comments on it or likes it. But how do you deal, and not to say that this would happen to you, but how do you deal with criticism? If somebody is really not liking what you're throwing down, um, how do you respond to that? I like to think I take all criticism well. And, uh, you know, I respect other people's, you know, opinions. I really haven't run into much in the way of negative criticism. Um, but on the blog, I would say 99% of the stuff is usually people that, you know, encouraging you and saying positive things. Um, I get a lot of people that ask a lot of questions. 
uh, how did you do this or how did you do that or why did you approach it this way? But um, I really haven't encountered much in the way of uh, criticism. I think it's, you know, in e-learning, you know, it's mostly e-learning people that are reading an e-learning blog and most, most of them are uh, supportive people. I think anybody that's in training and development, most of them are out there to help people. So they're usually pretty positive. I found that too, especially as I've started to build my personal learning network and reach out to people. Um, most of them are very generous with their time and their products. A lot of people just want to help other people grow and by sharing what you have to offer out there and getting comments from it, I found that I've learned a lot just from other people's perspectives. And I'm sure that you probably have too. Yeah, I have. And one of the things that's I'm always impressed with, especially Twitter, I love Twitter. I'm having conversations with people that are like, some of them are giants in the field, you know, and I'm learning chat. Some of these people are huge names, you know, Clark Quinn and Jane Bozarth and, People like that that are, are big names and they're, they're uh, very well respected and you're sitting there having these great conversations and picking their brains. I think if, you know, if I was to call them and say, hey, I want, you know, an hour of your time to pick your brain, I'm sure they'd have pretty large consulting fees for me to pay. You know, but on LearnChat, it's all, they're just out there sharing, again, working out loud. And I'm getting plenty of great information and ideas and advice that's, you know, incredibly valuable. Um, and that's really a, one of the great benefits of, uh, of, of social media. Um, even on the blog, I've had some really cool people that have, you know, shared great ideas with me that, you know, uh, normally, you know, have to pay a pretty penny for. Yeah, and Joe and I are actually frequent flyers of the training learning development chat that happens every day. And that's a live streaming chat. And I know for me, I, I've experience some of the same benefits that you have with these big names in the industry that I followed for a long time and they're on there talking about ways that they build video and ways that they approach product products and and all of that so I am completely with you I'm just absolutely blown away by the all the free information that you can get out there if you're willing to listen to it absolutely I know I've definitely felt that same starstruck attitude uh, the first time I went to an industry conference, it was one of the dev learns and meeting every, or at least seeing everybody in person, if I didn't actually get a chance to meet them was really cool. And the thing I learned pretty quick was these are just regular people there. They may uh, be industry thought leaders or they may have a large following, but at the end of the day, they're just people. And I haven't met anyone yet that uh, is larger than life to the point where they're not approachable to have a conversation. I think that just reinforces what we were talking about earlier about it's just a, a nice close-knit community, so to speak, of, of e-learning developers that are online. Kara, did you have any more questions? I do not, except uh, Jeff, again, I want to thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. And where can people find you? My uh, blog is elearningcyclops.com. And I'm on Twitter also as e-learning cyclops but there's no g couldn't fit that in the username e-learning cyclops on twitter those are uh, probably the two uh places that you'll uh, see me the most and uh thursday nights on learn chat I'm, i try to be on there as much as possible and you mentioned pinterest several times is there a specific way people can find you on pinterest yeah if you look me up as jeffrey goldman but i uh, my mother spelled my name in an unusual way j-e-f-f-e-r-y and then Goldman. So uh, Jeffrey Goldman, 
all one word, um, I'm on Pinterest. And I've got um, examples of my work, but I also have examples that I like out there. I've pinned a lot of different um, e-learning courses that I found out there. And some things around ISD, hobby of mine is photography, so you'll probably see a few photography things there too. Again, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the Instructional Redesign Podcast. I think that you're a true testament of what people can accomplish if they do want to take on working out loud and sharing some examples and getting good feedback on it. I think that's what it's all about is constant improvement, daily improvement on your product and the way that you approach things. So thank you again for being on here today. It was my pleasure, and thank you for having me on the podcast. It's a great podcast, and uh, it's very flattering to be asked to be on it. So thank you very much, uh, Joe and Kara.